It's time for the Christian's Hour. Welcome to the TCH Broadcast. I'm Stan Smelser, program host. I have the privilege each week of welcoming you to our broadcast. Love and War. Sounds like a great name for a novel, doesn't it? At the same time, it's a great way to sum up the Bible's book or letter of 1 John, written by the Apostle John. If you've read John's writings, you might have noticed that he talks about love. In fact, in John's Gospel, John 3.16 is known by many who don't claim to be religious people. For God so loved the world. Yet in 1 John, he writes of contrasts, light and darkness, assurance and conviction, love and war. This month, Aaron Brockett, lead minister with Traders Point Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, will be helping us wrap our hearts and heads around the contrasts of 1 John. So what do light and darkness, assurance and conviction, love and war have to do with our relationship with God? To shed some love and light on the subject with the best news ever, here's Aaron. We're starting a brand new series of messages called Love and War, and we're working our way through this little book at the very end of the New Testament known as 1 John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was actually part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. So John, a little bit later in life, uh, writes his gospel. A little bit later, John writes um, a series of letters to the church generally known as an epistle. The one that he writes gets divided up into three, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we're calling the series Love and War. One of John's uh, characteristics in his writing is that he loves to use sharp contrasts to make his point. Uh, maybe one of the uh, clearest ones, and we're actually going to see it in our passage today, we see it all over the Gospel of John, is he just uses the words light and darkness. These contrasts to help us understand. Love is a big theme for John. Uh, John would describe himself as the disciple Jesus loved. John was the guy that arguably wrote one of the most well-known verses known in all of the Bible. It's probably one of the very first verses you memorized as a kid. It's a verse that somehow has made it onto the chests of shirtless men with beer bellies and end zones of football games. You know, John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world. That, that John penned those words. But, but John also wants us to see primarily in his epistle, that we are at war. Like John wants us to understand that there is a war that we are in. And if you're taking notes, there's like three aspects of this war. There's the spiritual war, the tangible war, and the internal war. There is the, the war that's going on behind the scenes. Even as we speak, um, the principalities and powers of darkness in this evil world, which then lends itself to the tangible war that we see in front of us and on the news. And we see things like literal wars, and we see road rage and abuse and school shootings. All of these things are a result of the spiritual war that we are in. And then there's the internal war that is being waged against you in your body and in your mind. So we would even say like illness and disease and things like ALS, like the battle that is raging in our bodies against us, but then also the battle in our minds, habits, addictions, and temptations. And so we're at war. And John wants us to make, John wants to make us aware of this war because we cannot win a war we are not aware of. But John writes his epistle, not only to just make us aware of it, but to reassure us of how the war has been won and can be won. And if I could sum up 
First John, like in two words, I might use the word assurance. That's a big, big word. John wants to provide us assurance, but then also the word convicting. And it's wild how in the same sentence that John writes, I can be so comforted and encouraged. And yet by the time he finishes the verse, I am equally just as challenged and convicted. And so uh, as we kind of dive into this uh, together, uh, just about everybody that I know in their walk with Jesus, and I've certainly been there, has wondered at one time or another if their relationship with Jesus is legit. And we don't say it like that. We oftentimes say it like this. We, we kind of say it with Christianese. We say things like, well, you know, it's like, I, I wonder if I'm, uh, you know, really saved. You know, I wonder if, if I really have been reconciled with God or was that just emotionalism? Like, was I really sincere? Does God still love me? Maybe he loves me, but he doesn't really like me right now. You know, because I've promised him some things, but I keep breaking my promises. And how, how do I know if I'm still in a relationship with Jesus? How do I know if God's grace has really covered me? And this question of assurance um, is on all of our minds at some time or another. Now, most of the epistles in the New Testament, the names of the epistles uh, have the, the city or the geographic region that they were originally written to. What I mean by that is the reason why the book of Galatians is called Galatians is because the letter was written to the Christians in Galatia. But if you notice... 1 John is an epistle that doesn't have a city or a geographic region attached to it. It's got John's name. And I think part of the reason why is because John knows that this question of assurance is something that every Christian across all time asks to some degree. And John wants to speak to it. So today, John is going to share with us some of the best news ever. In fact, I've titled this message, The Best News Ever. How many of you love good news? Uh, how many of you know that oftentimes good news usually doesn't come without some bad? And can I say that the gospel message is oftentimes known as good news because it is. But here's the thing. If you find yourself unimpressed, tired of, or bored with the gospel, it's likely because you've forgotten how bad the bad news really is. In order for the good news to be really, really good, we got to understand the two. John navigates this so well. And so with that set up, let's jump into verse one of chapter one. John writes this. He says, we proclaim to you. He, he's declaring something here. He's going to use that word three times here in just these first few verses. We proclaim to you the, the one who existed from the beginning. If you go to John's gospel, you see how similar he starts his gospel and how similar he starts this. He begins his gospel within the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. And John takes us all the way back to the beginning and says, Jesus has existed from the beginning. And he says, this is somebody that we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us. Who is us? He's talking about the disciples. The, the apostles. And he says, and we have seen him. Uh, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. What, what's John doing here? Well, well, John wants us to know that he's getting ready to say some relatively heavy things. And he's saying the authority by which I'm getting ready to say this to you is because I was with Jesus and I heard Jesus and I saw Jesus do the miraculous. 
Not only that, but I touched his resurrected body. They said that the reason why we have this authority is because Jesus verified who he was through the miraculous. Like the proof for them was their witness to his power. In the remainder of the the chapter, John is going to address a a question that Moses and David and Jesus and and Paul, they, they all address. And it's just simply this question. How can a sinful person come into a right relationship with a holy and just God? And one of the things that John is gonna do is he's gonna take aim at religion. And so John's gotta get us lost before he can get us saved. And what he's going to say next is going to sting a little bit, but I want you to know that it's a good kind of sting. You know, it's kind of like if you've got to have surgery, when the surgeon walks into the operating room with a hatchet, that's not a good sign. Like you you should probably think about getting another surgeon. But if the surgeon walks in with a local anesthetic and a scalpel, then you submit yourself to that surgeon because he's cutting for your good. And this is the tone that John writes with, and it's certainly the tone I want to preach with. Look at what he says in verse five. He goes, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. I love that because John's simply saying, I'm just the mailman. I'm just delivering the mail that's been given to me. And then he uses these sharp contrasts right here. He goes, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And he says, we're actually lying. Well, who are we lying to? Well, I think it's implied that we're lying to ourselves. Certainly it could be that we're lying to others. We could be lying to God. If we, if we say we're in fellowship with God, but we're not practicing the truth. What does that look like? Well, it means that we really don't, Know God if we are willfully and defiantly pursuing what God calls sin. Now, I want to say that by also saying simply this. After your conversion, you and I, we are going to continue to sin. We are all broken sinners. We're going to sin on a daily, if not hourly, basis. What he's talking about here is premeditative sin. Do you know what that is? It's when you you know it's a sin, but... You're going to go ahead and do it anyway because you want to. And, uh, you know, God will forgive me in the words of author Philip Yancey because that's his job. And so you just kind of do that and over and over and over again. And, or you say, you know what, I, I don't really know that it's a sin. After a while, you begin to move it out of that category. And you just say, all I'm doing is following my heart. What's wrong with that? Or I'm going to act on my desires. Maybe God gave me these desires. And so I'm just acting on them. And it so clearly violates God's best for you. Here's how you know you're really following God. It's it's how you feel about his commands. Are they cumbersome? Are they lame? Do you feel like they're old fashioned? David writes this of God's commands in Psalm chapter 19, verse eight. He says, God's commands are right and bring joy to the heart. They are clear and they give insight for living. Is that how you feel about them? Or are you like, ah, I don't know that it means that anymore. Or let me kind of do some, you know, uh, uh, some hula hoops, you know, around this to try to figure out a way around it. So how, how do we stay in spiritual darkness? How are we lying to ourselves? Three common ways, if you're taking notes, the first one is simply this, believing in God without repenting before God. 
Statistically, over 90% of us say that we believe in God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we've turned our lives around. The word repentance is metanoia. It's this idea that it's a change in perspective. It's a, it's a change by the direction in which I'm, I'm heading. But, in, but instead, what we really want to do, what our flesh wants to do, instead of submitting to Jesus, like submitting to Jesus as Savior, man, that's great. I don't know if anybody has a problem with that. Who doesn't want to be saved? But submitting to Jesus as Lord, most of our issues that we get tripped up in, it's a lordship issue. I just simply don't like what he asks me to do. And so Jesus, I want you to be savior of my life. I remember being in that baptistry and I was explaining to a lady one time, I said, hey, uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And you are accepting him as savior today. And she was like, yes. And I said, but are you also making him Lord over your life? And she looked at me and she goes, what's that mean? And I said, it simply means that you're not going to no longer treat Jesus like a salad bar where you pick this and this, but you're going to submit every area of your life, your bank account and your bedroom to the Lordship of Jesus. She said, yes, but not nearly as enthusiastically. (laughs) And that's hard, isn't it? But can I tell you, you can't get the one without the other. Repentance is what God desires for us. Belief is great. That's just the first step. The Bible says the demons believe. That doesn't mean they're saved. When Jesus was preaching the gospel in Mark chapter one, repentance was the first response that he called for. Peter, when uh, he was preaching in Acts chapter two, and they said, well, what do we do? He, He said, repent. And um, Paul said that God has commanded everyone everywhere to do, this is what he's asked us to do, now that we know that Jesus has been resurrected, and that is to repent, Acts chapter 17. Now, please understand, we are not saved by the things we do. We are saved by grace, through faith, through the finished work of Jesus. Therefore, we do those things. It is out of a new identity and a transformation. And and actually at first, it seems a little bit harsh and abrasive. It's kind of like, any of you ever go to a, uh, a summertime matinee in the middle of the afternoon and it's air conditioned and it's dark and you're watching the movie and then you get done and you leave the exit straight from the theater into the parking lot and it's a sunny day. And it's just like, ah, it's just like so harsh and abrasive and you want to shield your eyes or maybe even run back in. But if you actually, if you stay out there long enough, you begin to acclimate and then you begin to see that the light is good. That is the exact same way when we step into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, no accompanying life change. Uh, George Barner reports that about 50% of Americans say that they prayed some kind of sinner's prayer, even though half Uh, show no fruit, show no regular presence of any kind in a church, have lifestyles and worldviews that in no way differ of those outside of the Christian faith. See, um, if I had a chair up here and I said, man, I believe in this chair. This is the best chair in the world. Well, Aaron, would you sit in it? Well, I really don't want to. I don't really know if it will carry my weight. And that's not really trust. See, trust in Jesus is when we say, you know what, this maybe doesn't even make sense to me at first, but I trust that your way is good, that that you have my best interests in mind. Here's the third thing, being casual rather than confessional about our sin. Can I just ask you right now, when it comes to personal sin in your life, are you casual about it or are you confessional? It's easy to treat it flippantly or dismissively, especially in the days in which we live, but maybe we know something that the Bible says, but we don't like it and we don't agree with it. And or it's inconvenience, and so we rationalize it, change it, or dismiss it. But you can't say that you know Jesus is Savior and Lord and then continue to embrace 
what he did for you on a cross. You see, we are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a savior. And he's not offering you tips and suggestions on how to be a better version of you, but it is an invitation to come and be transformed into a whole new version of you. And by the way, your flesh will disagree with what Jesus asks of you. If you don't, then you're probably not being honest with yourself. But if you, here's the thing, if you insist on it all making sense to you at first, or you agree like, okay, Jesus, I'll submit this area of my life to you just as long as I understand it. That's not lordship, that's bargaining. And this doesn't mean that we will never sin and fall. And we will all the time. It is almost guaranteed. Here's what I'm asking. What is your internal response when you do? Do you hide it? Do you conceal it? Do you rationalize it? Do you explain it away? Or is there a posture of confession and surrender and repentance? And can I just tell you that the waves of God's mercy are like the waves of a beach. They just keep rolling in, but you won't experience the waves unless you go down to the beach. And that's what confession and repentance is. That he will receive you no matter what. So here's the bad news. You don't know, you can't really know God if you are willfully continuing and harboring sin. But the good news is you do know him if you're always humbling yourself into a posture of surrender. Look at what John writes in verse seven. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Man, that's the best news ever, but it's couched in a phrase that is so convicting. And he says here that we've got to step into the light. Like I've got to grasp how sinful I really am before I begin to see how gracious God really is. Francis Schaeffer, one of our country's greatest apologists, was once asked what he would do if he met a man on a train and had just one hour to talk to him about the gospel. Here's how he responded. I would spend 45 to 50 minutes on the negative <laughs> to really show him his dilemma, that he is morally dead. Then I'd take the last 10 to 15 minutes to preach the good news of the gospel. And then he says something that convicted me so much. He said, I believe that much of our evangelistic and personal work today is not clear simply because we are too anxious to get to the answer without taking the time to help them realize what they need to be saved from. Here's where I think that a lot of preachers and a lot of Christians misstep though, is we get the tone wrong. And we say it at people instead of with people. We say it in a sense of superiority and judgmentalism rather than confessing to. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. So the bad news is that you don't know, you can't know God if you say you have no sin. You refuse to call it sin. You just call it preference. The good news, you do know him if you are deeply aware of your sinfulness and the clearest sign that you are growing in your understanding of how God's grace works is not that you no longer sin, but it's you become acutely aware of how much sin has pervaded your heart. So the closer you get to God, the closer you come into the light, when you drag your sin kicking and screaming into the light, you recognize your need for the cleansing of God. I think a common misconception 
for a lot of people is they just think, well, the closer to God I get, the closer, the holier that I'll feel. But actually in reality, we recognize our need for him. Isaiah says this so well, the prophet Isaiah, who's like nearly at the top of the pyramid of the spiritual and religious food chain. He's a prophet. And Isaiah says that he came close to God. And here was his response. Woe, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Man, that's how you know. Um, It's Peter. When he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, he fell to his face and said, away from me, I'm a sinful person. Man, you meet a Christian that has been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, and they are humble and they recognize their need for grace and they are not harsh with you. Then you know that that is a person that is walking with God. And John finally finishes with this in verse nine. But, one of the greatest buts in this letter. But if we confess, what's the opposite of confess? Conceal. He says, if we confess our sins to him, he is, this is the word, circle it, underline it, highlight it in your Bible. He is faithful. And God is faithful. He'll do what he said he'll do. God is not flaky. God does not miss appointments. God does not overlook it. He is faithful every time and he is just, which means that God will always do what is right to forgive us, not to condemn, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Guys, that is the best news ever. And it comes with this invitation to confess, not to conceal. And he says, if we claim we've not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. He is faith. If we are, here's, here's how I summarize that verse. If we are faithful to confess, he is faithful to forgive. So what do we do with this? Well, here's what I want to ask you to do. Here's just the application. Regardless of who you are today, I want to ask you to search your heart right now. I want to ask you to ask God to search your heart right now by his Holy Spirit. And which of these warnings that John gives today might be true of you? Are you right now willfully and defiantly continuing to sin? Are you justifying that behavior as not all that bad? Are you hiding and concealing or covering up sin rather than confessing? Maybe this, are you having a hard time believing that God's grace could actually cover you? Second Peter says it so well. God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to do that now today. To just simply confess and repent before him. So I want to ask you, wherever you may be, would you just simply bow your heads and close your eyes just real quickly? And I want you to take both of your hands and just kind of extend them out in front of you, but close your fists. And I want this to be symbolic of the fact that maybe you're holding on to some sort of sin. Maybe you're holding on to something that you're concealing. Maybe it's something as I've been preaching, it just pierced your heart and convicted you. And maybe you've already cursed me under your breath. Maybe you've gotten a little bit angry. Maybe you've tried to figure out a a way to, to navigate around this so you don't have to employ it. What is the thing you're holding on to? And I just simply want you to, in a spirit of humility, Say, God, I confess this to you. I release this to you. And as you pray that, you just simply open up your hands, a symbolic of just releasing that. You're not going to conceal it any longer. 
And if need be, perhaps you need to confess that to someone else. And here's what God says that he will do. He says, I'll be faithful to you. I'll be just to forgive and to cleanse. This is the best news ever. But before it can be good news, we have to feel the weight of the bad and how gracious our good God really is. Sing his praises, 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 sing his Extend our appreciation to Aaron Brockett for today's lesson. We also want to say thank you to Acapella Ministries for today's worship music. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard a lot in Aaron's message today that talked of relationship with God. More than just belief, relationship is a two-way street of communication between hearts, our heart and God's heart that loves us so very much. God made the first move. He sent his son to die for us. In John's other book, The Gospel of John, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16 Relationship yearns for a response. Will you, out of your belief, your relationship, respond to God's love? If you'd like a copy of today's broadcast, we're glad to send it to you free. Just call us at 515-770-2241. That's 515-770-2241. When you call, please leave your name and mailing address. You'll also find this message on the internet at thechristianshour.org. That's thechristianshour.org. We're also at oneplace.org, iTunes, and Google Play. We hope you'll join us again, Lord willing, next week for another edition of TCH.